Well, if you're a first-time guest, I say welcome this morning. We're starting a series where we're going to talk about money. <laughs> and so, welcome. Um, <laughs> you know, that doesn't fit the, the stereotype, right? All the church wants is your money. And that's not really what we're talking about. We, we're talking about it, but not all that. We're talking about money in general. You know, we've titled the series Stewards because of what that word connotes, what it means to us. You know, it's not a word that we use typically in our culture today. Steward isn't something you hear, but a steward is someone who is not the owner of something, but they have been given the task of managing, of overseeing what the owner has placed into their hands. And we would say that is the view the Bible gives us of what we have. We've been called to be stewards. And so what does it mean to live as a steward? What does it mean to live like Jesus lived? He was the most generous of all, crazy generous giving everything for us. And so we are called to live as Jesus lived. And we say to look, live and love more like him means to be generous. And so what does that look like? And so we're going to talk about money. I know we talk about it in time and talents and treasure, but we're going to talk about money because it's a subject that is talked about often in Scripture, probably more than you think. You know, Jesus taught about money quite a bit. In fact, 16 of the 38 parables that he taught had to do with our possessions or our money and how we handle them. One out of 10 of the verses in the Gospels, one out of 10, 288 verses, deal directly with money and how we handle it. In fact, there are 500 verses in the Bible that deal with prayer, less than 500 that deal with faith, and over 2,000 that deal with money. So just by the sheer volume, the author of the Bible is saying it's an important topic. Just by the sheer number of verses and the opportunity that he has to teach us about it, he's saying, listen to this. And so we will teach about money these next four weeks. But to teach about money, we don't begin with money. It would be the wrong place to begin. Because oftentimes we have a warped sense of what money is and how we deal with it. And so when we start to teach about it, we come with that. And so I want to start here this weekend as we teach through this series from the beginning to give us a proper perspective of money and what the biblical answer is to how we steward it and what Jesus says about it. But to do that, again, we need to go back to the beginning. You know, last week we finished this series called Explore God where we answered some big questions you know, does God exist, and is Jesus really God, and is there purpose in life, and can I trust this book? Is it, is it useful for teaching? Can I rely upon it? Can I place my life on it? And we all answered as Christians, yes, God exists. Yes, this book is reliable. And in saying that, we're saying we trust in this word, that we'll put our life on it, because that's what the word tells us to do to listen to it and to heed its instruction. And if we answer yes to those questions, we mean, yes, this is the inspired, inerrant word of God. And so it would be good for us to listen to this book. And so that's what we wanna do. We wanna listen to this book as we talk about this uncomfortable subject of money. And to do that, I wanna start at the beginning because that gives us the proper perspective and the context with which to go through this series to be reminded of this as we go through the series, as we look at what it means to be intentional with what God has given us, how we can steward that money and the influence that comes with that, and how we should decide to spend it, not just a portion of it, but all of it. Because all of it is God's, as we find out. 
You see, in the beginning, God created everything we see and some things that we can't yet see. And we're told in the beginning that God created Adam and Eve in his image to be stewards of his creation. He created Adam and Eve to look after his stuff. In fact, you could say God created this earth for Adam and Eve to steward. But Adam and Eve thought better. They thought better and and decided to reject God's plan for their own plan. They wanted to rule not under God, but as God's. And so that's what they decided to do. And God expelled them from his garden. He disciplined them. And sadly to say, every descendant of Adam and Eve had the same problem. They want to rule not under God, but as God's. So God disciplines Adam and Eve, but he shows great patience. He doesn't destroy them. He looks after them and takes care of them. So one day he chooses a man named Abraham. And he gives him the responsibility of being a steward and someone that he promises through a covenant with Abraham that he would make him into a father of great nations and the world would be blessed through him. And he made that promise not only to Abraham but to his son Isaac and to Isaac's sons Jacob and Jacob who would be renamed Israel. God promised through that people he would bring about blessing on the earth. And so 650 years after he makes that promise to Abraham, He sends Moses into Egypt to deliver that people out of slavery and brings them to this mountain, this Mount Sinai. And there on this mountain, God meets with Moses and gives Moses his commandments and his his instructions and his mission. And it's one of those trips up the mountain that we come to today in our text that I want to land on this morning. And that is in Exodus chapter 32. It's titled probably in your Bibles as the golden calf, where we look at the people at the bottom of the mountain who have been waiting for Moses to come down, and things kind of go awry. So I'll start reading to you from Exodus chapter 32. If you have your Bibles open, we'll start in verse 1. Moses writes, When the people saw that Moses was long coming down the mountain... They gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As, this, as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, <laughs> we don't know what happened to him. So Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. They, then they said, These are your gods, Israel who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I have commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. These same people 
who God went before, who brought them up out of Egypt, who went before them and protected them from Pharaoh's army and parted the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. These people who were fed in the desert, who were given water out of a rock, these same people who saw all of that now sit at the bottom of this mountain and worshiping a golden calf. How does that happen? Well, it tells us Moses had been gone a long time. You know, he'd been up and down the mountain before, but this time we're told he'd been up there for almost 40 days and 40 nights. And they've started to wonder, is he ever coming down? Did, did he, are we fools for staying here? Has God killed him? And so they stand there ashamed and they start to become fearful and angry. And we can see that because they go to Aaron and they say, Aaron, make us a calf. We don't know what's happened to this Moses guy, but you're going to make us a calf. And we know that because the words that they use aren't polite words. And so what does Aaron do? He doesn't speak the truth to them. He says, okay, okay, all right, I'll make you exactly what you want. I'll give you this calf. And so that's what he does. He takes these golden earrings that they had. Now, where did they get those golden earrings? Well, we're told from the story that when God rescued them from Egypt, he made the Egyptians favorable to them and gave them gold and silver to take with them. Gold and silver, as we read before this, God had intended to be used in the construction of his tabernacle, a place where God promised to come and live with them, to be with them, to be a blessing to them, to be their God and lead them. But they thought better and thought, you know what? I don't have time for all this. And they become fearful. And Moses had been gone a long time. And so they made Aaron make him this calf out of these earrings that God had given them for other purposes. And so they fashioned him into this idol so that they could worship this idol. And it's no wonder what they did because they, that people had spent 430 years in Egypt. And idol worship was what they did in Egypt. They worshiped golden idols. And that gave them permission and license to do exactly what the Egyptians did to idols. There, there was this large orgy happening there at the mountain because that's what they knew. That's where they came from. They'd been in Egypt a long time. And Moses had been gone, in their eyes, a long time. God sends Moses back down the mountain, and he disciplines them. But God, again, shows great patience and love because he doesn't destroy them. He gives them another set of commandments. Remember, Moses came down, he threw them down on the ground when he saw what they had done. God gave them another set of commandments written in his hand. And he gave them that mission. He told them how to live and said that he would be with them. And he promised that he would take them into a land filled with milk and honey, filled with resources they have never had. They were being called into this land to be stewards in that land. Not just stewards of what God had given them so that they could go and be a blessing into the nations telling the world what God had done for them, revealing to the truth, the truth about God to the world. That's what he did. But we see, because the children of Israel are descendants of Adam and Eve, that they thought better of that plan. They listened for a while, but then they rebelled, and discipline would happen. And then they would cry out to God, and God would be patient and he would restore them. And sadly to say, this is the story that happens over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament. We see God rescuing his people, his people worshiping him, but then 
rebelling, experiencing turmoil in their lives and, and, and misery, and they cry out to God, and God, being God, rescues them. And it happens over and over and over again. Through the lives of Moses and the children of Israel and through the judges and all of the kings. Until one day, God decides to send his son down the mountain to reveal the truth about God to the world, to his people, but also to the world, and to show the world and his people what a true steward of God looks like. And Jesus lived that life. He lived the perfect life. He lived and did everything his father taught him to do. But the people to whom God sent him, the same people that God had given those commandments, rejected him because he threatened the kingdoms that they had built. And he taught against their interpretation of God's word. And it angered them and it caused them to be afraid. And in order to protect their kingdoms, they decided that he'd have to die. And so that's exactly what they did. They crucified him because he had threatened their kingdoms. And in that moment, man had descended to his deepest, darkest pit. See, what they didn't realize, what they didn't understand, is that Jesus was entering into their rebellion. He was entering into their sin. He was dying the death that they deserved to die. What they missed was that God was fulfilling his promise that he'd made long ago to Abraham to provide a sacrifice, not just for Abraham's sin, but for everyone's sin. And he did that by sending his own son to be the sacrifice for the entire world, to reveal the true love and nature and patience of our God. And then three days later, Jesus is raised from the dead. And God declares his victory over death and Satan and sin. And God, once again, starts over. Not by destroying his people, but by recreating them into the image of his son. By sending his Holy Spirit into those who would believe. To lead them, to guide them, to teach them into all truth. To remind them of what Jesus taught and to be their guiding light in them. God did that. And Jesus comes to his people as he gets ready to ascend back up the mountain, and he tells them that one day he will return. And when he does, he'll bring with him a new city, a new Jerusalem, for us to live with him. And Jesus says at that point, everything will be put back the way it is, where God is all in all. And before he leaves, he gives us this commandment. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, everything I've commanded you. And I will be with you always till the end of the age. He tells them to go and share that good news with the world, because the world has a warped understanding of who God is and truly the nature of God, and why we're here, and what our purpose is. Go and do that. And we know from this teaching, because we trust in this teaching, we plant our word in this teaching, that that story is our story, and we know that that story says something to us. It means that we're stewards of everything that we have. 
It's not ours. We have been given the opportunity to steward it, to manage it, to watch over it on God's behalf. In fact, David says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it are the Lord's. We are but stewards of it. And we know that, right? We understand God has given us an amazing, amazing opportunity to share his gospel and to be stewards of vast amount of wealth and to do good around the world in many different ways. We know all that. We understand it. We do believe he's given us that mission. But see, here's the problem. Jesus has been gone a long time. He's been up the mountain a long time. And we are descendants of Adam and Eve. And we have within us that same nature to rule, not under God, but as God's. And we too, like Adam and Eve, have made idols out of things that were never intended to be substitutions for God. Because see, that's what we do. We substitute things, the created things, for the creating one. And we understand that that is wrong. But every time I create something that God intended for good, every time I take that and I inflate it, into something that it's never intended to be. And I, I replace God with this thing. I place my, my hope in it, my security is in it, my identity rests in these things. Every time I do that, I'm making an idol. That's why John Calvin says the heart, the human heart, is an idol factory. Because we're all descendants of Adam and Eve, and we have that same problem in us. Every time I do that, I'm an idol maker. Now, I, I just want to remind you that I should have a mirror right here because I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to myself this morning. I'm talking to all of us this morning. God is talking to all of us this morning to remind us how we see money and how we see what we've done with our money and how we've idolized it. But as Christians, we know that it would be silly, right? All the world knows Christians don't worship golden calves and golden idols. I mean, that would be like nuts, wouldn't it? We had golden idols in our homes, right? So we don't do that. What we do is we, we disguise them or we hide them or we paint them different colors because it would be, we don't want people to know that we're idol worshipers. That we have taken these things that God has given us and intended them for our good and we've inflated them into things that we worship. See, what we do is we take good things and we make them into something they were never intended to be, our hope, our security, our identity. But that's what we do every time we do it. Make no mistake, these are idols, or they have the potential to become idols. So what do we do? How do we break out of this cycle? Is there hope for us? Jesus says, yes, there is. Remember, he died the death for sin. He released us from the bondage. We no longer have to obey that sinful man, that sinful nature inside of us. We have to understand that he's still there and he still will demand our attention. But we have a new guiding system within us. It's the Holy Spirit and he's not only guiding us, but he's empowering us to overcome these idols, to overcome the things that we've created. See, because every one of these idols serve the God, self, Every one of these idols serve me. I've put myself in the place of God. 
And so I need to be reminded often my place. And so to do that, I think it's good for us that we do something about that this weekend and throughout this series, that we're reminded why we have all that we have and how we have this propensity for creating idols out of a lot of different things. And I think we should do that by naming them. Naming them to to not give them any power, not to ignore them, but to name them and to see them for what they are, what we have made of them. And to do that, I would... I would encourage you to ask somebody else to go with you to do that. Maybe somebody that loves you, another brother or sister in Christ, maybe somebody in your small group that you could say, could you help me? Because you know, sometimes we've disguised them so well, we've forgotten what they look like. And we need help finding them. You know, but some of them are not so hidden, are they? We understand what they are. We know what we've made of them. But chances are they've been idols in our life for a long time. And to rid them from our life would be painful and would require a lot of work, so we need to take somebody with us. Or maybe even we've said, well, it's not that, it's not really an idol, it's a small thing, right? And it it can't be that dangerous. Just a small thing. I understand, I have power over it, it does not have power over me. And I'd say we're fooling ourselves. Because no matter how small it is in your eyes, It will demand your attention, your allegiance. It will not be ignored. Jesus gives us a warning in Matthew. He says to us, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You try, and you will serve one or the other. You cannot serve both. And so we need to name it. We need to take the power away from it that we've given it. We need to demote it back to what it should be, deflate it back to what it should be, something that God has given us to be used for his purposes. And part of those purposes is to care for my family, to care for me, to provide for food and shelter and clothing, the things that I need, but also to enjoy it. Solomon says it's a gift from God when he gives you wealth, that you enjoy it. That itself is a gift from God. He intends for you not to just hoard it away for your own purposes, but he also intends for you to share it and find enjoyment in doing that as well, but also to use a portion of it for his mission, his journey in this life of sharing the gospel with the world. Everything that we have is his, everything. And so we need to name those idols. We need to call them out for what we've made of them. And we need to ask help. And when we we recognize what we've done, we need to do exactly what the scriptures tell us. We need to fall to our knees and we need to repent. And we need to say, I have made you too small in my eyes, O Lord. Forgive me. And we're reminded in his word that that's exactly what he's done. And he offers us up his hand as he does in his great patience and love for us and says, come, let's go about this again. Go and share the good news of what God has done for you. As we repent, we experience the forgiveness that God has for us. We don't just know about it, we experience it because he doesn't destroy us when we repent. He forgives us. And we experience that forgiveness new every time we do that. So I want to encourage you through this series as we begin this weekend, 
as we start talking about money more specifically, not just the money, the small percentage, but all of it, because that's the picture we have to approach it. All of it is God's. None of it is truly mine. I've been given the opportunity to steward it. I want you to be diligent. I want you to come back. I want you to, this week, name your idols. Now, I know that some of you this morning are sitting there like, like, ugh. That's an indication that there's something in your life that you've made an idol, that you're resisting. Remember, no matter how small you've made it, it will demand your attention. It will cause you to push back against God's word. But remember what we believe about this word, what the word says about itself. And so when we talk about money, it challenges what we believe, what we believe about what Jesus taught us, who he is. But see, that's the danger of idols. They obscure God. They obscure who he is and what he's done for us. And so we need to be about the business of naming them. So this week, name those idols. And then come back next week. Fight that urge to check out for this series. Fight that urge because it's dangerous to do that. Come back. Come back and let's continue the conversation. And I'd like to leave you with just one word, one, one sort of illustration so that you understand this clearly. Please understand this. God is not trying to get your money. God doesn't need your money. God's not trying to get your money. God is trying to keep your money from getting you. Come back next week. Would you pray with me?